Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of my good buddies, God, like secular godmother to one of my children, Leah Archambeau. She is a amazing person, but also one of my favorite vocalists ever, ever former singer of UTI. I guess UTI is still going, but former singer of UTI, good friend. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address. You can send me an email. You can find me on various forms of social media, at Damien. If you're on Facebook and you want to find this show on Facebook, there's a Facebook page run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. You can find that at Facebook.com slash turnitapunk. There's also turnitapunk.tumblr.com. If you don't use Facebook, you want to see some of the cool stuff that gets sent into the show. If you want to support this show, the best way to do that is by heading over to iTunes, writing a review, rating this thing, subscribing to this thing, and uh, thank you. Thank you for all those of you who have done that. That is much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, well, I guess I got some explaining to do. First of all, sorry the show's very late. Um, I'm sitting here, uh, 4.20, about to depart for the airport. I'm going to leave and take off for another one of these crazy wrestling trips. Um, Quite the way to spend your 4.20, having uh, computer issues, which is what I've been doing all day today, excuse me. You see... Not only am I leaving for the airport right now, I'm dealing with the fact that the turned out a punk operating system that I've put together, that I've pieced together, is having some technical issues. And I've been having these for a couple weeks, and that's led to some problems, and I'm still fighting through them, and I will be through them soon. Um, but it has meant that this show's been late. It means that this show may be late again, one more time, but you can deal with that, right? Yeah, of course you can. You are you are the type of people that have grown accustomed to bearing with this show and all of its hiccups. And I've gotten some news today that things might be changing. And I know I've said this before, but uh, this might change it uh, in a good way. You know, it certainly allow me to buy another hard drive so I could uh, figure out <laughs> what I'm going to do <laughs> going forward. Um, but anyway, you don't need to worry about that. All you need to worry about is that this show is unfortunately going to be going through some scheduling hiccups in the next little while, but bear with it, and it will be there for you. And I have amazing episodes saved away and squirreled away, and I'm going to be getting to them, uh, you know, in the near future. Just got to get to them. <laughs> I'm going to be getting to them. Anyway, on to today's show. Today on the show, it's my good buddy Leah. As I mentioned, I'm also uh, a secular godparent to one of her children, too. Very, very good family friends, but I knew her first. As Well, I knew her first through the video store that I used to work at, but I know her, I guess, best through being the lead singer of one of the, one of this amazing band, UTI, but her voice, you know, like the first time I heard this band's demo, and I think it was Pete at Hits and Misses, rest in peace to Hits and Misses, not to Pete, Pete's going strong, but Hits and Misses, unfortunately, is gone now, but that record store... He played me that demo, and he's like, you know who's the vocalist in this band? He's like, I'm like, who? And he's like, Leah. And I was like, what? Because the voice is, it sounds like it should be coming out of a, a demon in the best way I mean that possible. You know, like, that's what you want to hear 
when you are the vocalist in a hardcore band, in my opinion. You want to sound like a demon. You want to sound like John Brandon. You want to sound like Jerry A. You want to sound like, uh, you know, Tobiah from Look Back and Laugh. You want to sound like Sakevi. You know, you can't say his name too, too often. People get really, uh, you don't want to say that guy's name too often. But you want to sound like all these people. You want to sound kind of uh, demonic. And uh, that's what she does. And so getting to know her, we've become very good family friends. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like I've wanted to have her on the show for a long time because I think her journey into punk kind of shows that, you know, you could you could be dipping around it for a while, but when you find that thing in it that connects with you and, and resonates with you and registers with you, my gosh, you know, God help us, you know. God help us if, if Leah didn't, you know. What if she just kept hearing all these sort of like 90s-style uh, emo influence? I don't mean like, you know, in that in a pejorative way. I mean like, you know, like DC emo influence type bands that, you know, wasn't really connecting with her in the same sort of way, you know. So it would have denied us one of the greatest hardcore vocalists ever. Huh. Huh. Anyway, I'm going to go back to trying to figure out my technological woes and I will leave you with this amazing podcast. So everyone, please sit back, relax, and my... Let me try that again. Everyone, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my good pal, Leah, on Turned Out a Punk. Leah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Well, this is, uh, as I was saying, it's a big thrill for me because you are one of my favorite vocalists, but I, I think your path into this is different than anyone else who's been on the show. So I, that was probably true. Uh, I've listened to the show a bunch. <laughs> and yes, definitely, I'd say um, I've come into it a few different ways. But um, I was going to say as well, it's funny because uh, it has, uh, you were one of my favorite vocalists, as well as Justin from Mind Eraser. So when oh, I first yes. started singing, I was totally trying to emulate this kind of millennial reign kind of anyway so it goes both ways well that, i appreciate that but this is yeah. not about me this is okay, about yes. you nothing about you and okay. we got to yes, start it go. off the way i started okay. them all off okay which is leah mm-hmm. how did you get into punk do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre i absolutely do and it, i got into it really young which is funny uh in 1990 my best friend was regan and we were going into grade six when the movie Pump Up the Volume came out. Uh-huh. And what we got out of this was we had to find a pirate radio station. This was what we <laughs> used to do when we were having sleepovers. So we were, you know, we'd go slowly across the dial because we thought for some reason just using a regular radio, we were happy Harry hard on. So that's what we did. And then eventually we, we got onto a channel and someone swore and we like freaked out. We were like, yes, this is fucking it. This is awesome. And then it got to the station announcement and it was actually CKCU, which is uh, Carlton University. But we totally fell in love with the music that we heard. And there was two DJs in particular, Emo and Mr. Happy. Okay. And, uh, yeah, like Bemo used to play more of the kind of grungy, like Green River, Screaming Trees, you know, Nirvana kind of thing. Um, the first Nirvana song I heard was Blue, uh, and that was uh, that was on Bemo's show. Uh, and then, yeah, so, and then, you know, there was also, at the same time, they were playing Babes in Toyland at that time, because I think in 91, they were actually touring with Sonic Youth. So that was the first time I was hearing some of those bands. So it was weird, because I was 11 and 12. 
the first time I was hearing it. And it just immediately, immediately was in love with it. It was totally inappropriate. We actually got on the radio a bunch of times. We lied. We told the guys we were 16. We were 11. And, uh, yeah, and we used to talk to the DJs and request songs. They told us uh, stories about bands. Of course, we couldn't go see because we were in grade six. Um, and, uh, and yeah, um, you know, at one point, my friend did have to sidestep Mr. Happy. Uh, his name was Colin. I didn't know his last name. Sort of flirting with her, almost like ask. And then we had to like shut it down uh, and just be like, nope, no, nope, she's gay because uh, she was 11. Because she's 11, was, yeah. We we thought that was the easiest way out of that at the time, at the time. I so, think that was uh, the safest way out of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's really the first time I heard punk was was when I was really, really young. That's awesome. Now, did is that do you know if JC did a show on that station back then? Jeff Cohen? Oh, possibly. I mean, like the, the ones that we listened to were Friday night. And that was just because that was when we were allowed to have our sleepover. Yeah. I had ballet class Saturday morning. OK, no, so. this guy would eventually move to Toronto and be kind of like the same sort of voice for people in Toronto. But I know he had a show in Ottawa okay. at some point just before. But I don't know if it was the well, same time. Sean Scallon was on there at that uh-huh. time, and he's the guy who ended up booking for Five Arlington. So definitely, there was like that CKCU connection uh, through different, you know, punk things. Uh, definitely came up a few times. So it's just weird that I stumbled upon because of this, you know, not so great Christian Slater movie um, that my friend and I thought was really great at the time. Well, it's come up a lot so. on here, and the, the Descendants are on that soundtrack. Yep, yep, and that's first time I heard Pixies, uh, and then the funny thing is uh, they were touring when I was in grade seven. Again, you have to, like, I was so young, I couldn't go to anything, but I convinced my mom uh, that we, Regan and I could go with uh, her brother's girlfriend's friend, Janine, who was 16, um, but I ended up actually breaking my leg the day of the concert, um, and I never got to go, and I was, like, so bummed. It was at Porter Hall, and my friend, like, you know, uh, she went with Janine and she said it was totally sick. I never got to see the Pixies until like way, 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 way later when they toured again. But yeah, way too young. Um, but that's that was what we were listening to at the time. Um, and yeah, a bunch of other stuff, too, you know, because it was middle school. So yeah. as soon as you had a new friend, you were asking them what they were listening to, you know? Yeah, of course. And it's like uh, it's like a time of great discovery and also like musically. You couldn't have timed it better, too, for what was happening, kind of like the alternative world coming up to the surface a little bit. Well, that was definitely it. And I was a super weird kid. I didn't fit in at all. And so, like, uh, Babes in Toyland especially, like, I dressed like Cat for a while when I was in middle school. And it's just, you know, you, you find that, I don't know, if you're a bit of an outcast anyway, it's like you feel like you just don't want to be compared to anyone else anyway because you feel like you stick out so badly. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was just, yeah, it was, I found it at a good time and punk was like, you know, it was something me and my friends owned and no one else really had it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was cool. So where did um, you kind of go from that? Like, I guess it's like a few years before you're able to kind of like actively participate. Were you buying shows and stuff? Yeah. That, well, that's just the thing. And then there's like, there's periods of time where I really wasn't listening to that much music. Cause at the same time I was training to be a professional dancer. And so there was times where like all I was doing was dancing and listening to the music that I was working with. Um, because you know, by when I started high school in 1994, I went to Canterbury high school for the performing arts. 
and I was doing a whole lot of dance. Um, and so for a while, I wasn't, uh, I think, so aware of what was going on musically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, eventually, you know, by the time I was 15 or 16, uh, I started going to shows because you'd go out with friends, right, and rediscovered sort of local punk and, and also just weirdo music. Like, Canterbury really was a weirdo school. Um, you know, uh, Big Fish Eat Little Fish was one of the bands that came from there. Well, and they were Big sort Fish- of like... Oh, I'd have never heard yeah. of that band. Yeah, well, there, you probably wouldn't have. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like just very strange little bands. And uh, so I sort of followed them to um, the one punk venue you could go to that was all ages was called The Pit. Uh-huh. And it was literally a pit. It was like a dirt room underneath a huge jock bar called On Tap. <laughs> so to go see punk shows, you know, we we you'd have to like walk past like the lineup for the jock bar and go down the stairs, and it was like a dirt floor. But that's where I first started seeing um, some of the local bands, like just to Ottawa, like Brandon Walsh was one uh, that I fell completely in love with, and in retrospect, uh, sound very very like Mr. Bungle. But at the time, I think I was just, I mean, not that that's a bad thing, like, but I mean, like, exactly, Mr. Bungle. They, they later on, uh, some of those guys became Dakiri. I don't know if you've ever heard them. It's kind of well, weirdo electronic. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So I, so, I guess back to before yeah. we get into this, though, with yeah, the sorry. dance stuff, like when you went to that, when you went to that performing arts school, I assume it's because you've mm-hmm. been doing dance since you were like little, little? Since I was. Two, actually. My wow. mother put me in dance when I was two because uh, uh, <laughs> because I was a chubby kid. And so she really, really wanted me to lose weight. So she put me in dance. But I continued to be like a big person like when I was younger, which is hard to believe. But um, for some reason, she just thought that I should be in dance. And I fell in love with it, even though I wasn't really well suited to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, by the time I was auditioning for Canterbury, I, ar- I already knew that's what I wanted to do. Okay. Yeah. Was it like, were there other kids like, you know, I'm always intrigued, you know, like, cause you, you look at the arts kids that were in the late seventies and that's like the, the, the genesis of the punk scene, you know, in Toronto, it's like the kids from the dishes. By the time yeah. I was going to art school, the art school kids weren't that much into the punk anymore. Was it yeah, the, I mean, the dance kids? Oh, none of the dance kids were ever into punk. Like okay, yeah. to be clear. No, I've never, I've never hung, I never really hung out with dancers in terms of music. In fact, um, like the, the kids that I was hanging out with were into clowning. Uh, and I think that's where the Mr. Bungle thing probably came in. Um, like clowning, yeah. like the dance that they do where you like do the clown moves? No, 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 like, uh, true clowning. Like these people were not dancers. They were in theater, like Comedia dell'arte, like actual clowning. Uh, circus performers. That's Whoa. what they wanted to do. So they Whoa. were in the theater program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were in the theater program at Canterbury, but they had these fucking rad parties and they all listened to really great music. So that, I never really hung out with dancers. They were like tall and thin and beautiful and listened to really probably what was popular then. And I listened to that too, to a certain degree. But yeah, um, I used to hang out with these circus performers. And it's actually funny because uh, one of the guys that um, I used to hang out with, Mike Dubé, um, he uh, he actually dropped out uh, of Canterbury to pursue uh, being in a circus, like full time clowning and Comedia dell'arte, like I said, like a but he he actually later formed the High Lotrons. Uh, in Ottawa. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but um, so, yeah, it was um 
those were sort of the uh, the weirdos that I was hanging out with. What's what's a circus kid party like? Uh, it's insane. Um, like I was doing at the time, we were doing a lot of protest art. Okay. So I was doing a collaboration with this guy Zach Smith and Mike Dubay that I mentioned, and uh, it was basically a protest about East Timor. Try to follow me here. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it was a collaboration uh, between, like, musicians, dance. I was choreographing. I had, like, 16 dancers that I was working Whoa. with. Yeah. Um, but we would have these big parties. And the thing was, yeah, it would just get ridiculous. And I remember uh, one time, actually, Zach Smith, and he's the one who he formed Counter Notes Theater. And so, like I say, I did some collaborative stuff with him. And he's the one who introduced me to Mr. Bungle and actually Tom Waits as well um those both Bert sound very brecht. yeah what was the other one yeah. sorry sorry Bertrand brecht which oh. is brechtian theater yes, right? this course. idea of yeah, yeah yeah like three penny opera and that stuff so that's what uh zach was into so the parties were crazy and i remember one time zach saying to mike you know we're sitting around and he said you know mike at this point i know you know i've known you for so long and you do so many crazy things there's like literally nothing you could do that would shock me and he dropped his pants and defecated on the floor on the spot Whoa. In the middle of a party. So, yeah, those were those, definitely the weirdo kids in high school. So that's what a clowning party is. What grade were these kids in? <laughs> Sorry. For us, that, is, that, is that like too too bad for this show? I don't know. No, God, no. No. Listen, yeah. to, listen to Lars number two, and you will yeah, hear okay, some insane stories about number twoing. Um, okay, good. Okay. But, uh, what, so that was... <laughs> what grade were you guys in? So this would have been like grade 10 for me, grade 10, 11. You get yeah. shooting on the floor in grade 10? Oh, yes. But Mike Dubé, I mean, it, this is the thing. As I say, he formed this really crazy band afterwards. And, and now it's it, like he's actually quite open about his, uh, you know, some of his uh, struggles uh, with different things. But I have to be honest, he was just when I knew him, um, a very unusual person in a school where everyone was trying to be unique. Yeah. Mike was just unique. Uh, at one point in time, he decided he was going to start wearing his underwear on his head and he pulled his hair through each leg hole and he started a trend and there was grade nines doing the same thing. And it was really, I don't, he was just a genuinely strange person. I don't know. I guess, I guess to drop out and want to be a clown. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. so the music was a bit weird too. Yeah. Wow. That's more punk than punk. Your high school experience. <laughs> it's pretty weird. Yeah. And then like I had friends at the same time that were in bands, you know, that's the fun thing about high school is you have friends starting to be in bands. And so, like, I knew these guys that had a band, obviously, Eggs, and they started recording some of their own stuff. So that was, again, I I was just privy to, I didn't make music myself, but I feel like I was privy to a lot of neat little side projects going on, in part because, yeah, I didn't really fit in with dancers. Yeah, like, did, so. did this these bands and this scene intersect at all with that kind of Sean Scallon, you know, with the band? Yes, oh, band absolutely, yeah. Five Arlington. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was sort of like weirdo and punk that that would go through the pit. Um, But yeah, Five Arlington was definitely that was the main place like 95, 96. I would have been there. Um, And that was like Union of Uranus was the big one. Yes. Uh, That and Shopmaker as well. Also Shopmaker. They, they really, I mean, I think their core kind of base came out of Five Arlington and they, I mean, mm. some of the shows, they were incredibly sick again. And I think it, it actually did intersect with this kind of weirdo, um, 
uh, clowning and theater group I was hanging out with because uh, at the time, Fire Arlington was also like it was a cooperative, like and and it was all about activism. And so it, it's strange. It's like, I guess, you know, the what was going on with uh, music was um, very much tied into like um, activism, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh, so. So, yeah, it was just kind of like a natural <laughs> A natural next step to uh, to move over to Five Arlington, but but then, like I say, um, it was more hardcore that was going on there at the time. So what we were listening to changed a lot, even though it didn't really seem that way because we were always just looking for something that sounded loud and different. <laughs> yeah, like and I so. think at that point it was uh, it was like a, a weird period for hardcore where it got it. Yes, it really was. Yeah, yeah, it, it became like a lot more kind of uh, out there. Yes, I, I was going to say the same thing, like, uh, you know, looking back and some of some aspects of it um, definitely appealed to me as a dancer. Uh, mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I like bands that are very physical or shows that get really physical, like I like the messiness of it. And uh, and so some of that, you know, I liked, but I agree with you. It wasn't my favorite music, like uh, the stuff that was popular at when I was there was like Jawbox and 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 bands like that. So, you know, it. Yeah, it just it was a little more of the uh, uh, masculine, maybe in a way. I don't know if I don't know if I'm saying that wrong, but yeah. So at the same time, though, um, I'm trying to think. Well, like, like there was. Sorry. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Go on. I was going to just say, like, at this point, like, what was the first kind of band that brought you over to that sort of scene? Like, was it just like which was the band from your kind of like? performing I, from that school, I guess, or what was the band that kind yeah. of brought you to Arlington? It, it was Brandon Walsh. It was this band that I mentioned that I, that I saw at the pit and I really liked them. Um, as I say, they sounded like Mr. Bungle, but the, the lead singer uh, was like, did this crazy performative show. He'd be like hanging upside down from the rafters, you know, and with a kazoo in his mouth and his shirt over his head. <laughs> So, yeah. So I didn't listen to hardcore music. I was into weirdo stuff. I was just, you know, being a, yeah. but, but some of it was kind of punk-esque, I guess. And then, yeah. And then when Brandon Walsh played over at Five Arlington and we followed over, then, you know, we started going to those shows too. How did they fit into that scene? Did they, did they stick around? Oh, no, no. Well, Brandon Walsh didn't stick around for a very long period. Um, uh, well, I shouldn't say that actually. They were, they were probably playing for a couple of years, but, uh, but yeah, that was definitely not their scene. Not, not at that time, but yeah. there was always local bands that would support, you know, bigger acts too. So mm-hmm. sometimes it was mismatched. <laughs> yeah. Is that a good way of saying it? Mismatched. <laughs> no, no. That, like, I, I don't know. I think that band like that now would be awesome to see, you know, and I think it would be yeah. easier to kind of fit in now, but I don't know how that would have played in the very austere nineties. <laughs> Yeah, at the time, I don't know, like Ottawa, again, even though I'm talking about, you know, um, a few different places, the scene was really small. And so the overlap between, like I say, just kind of weirdo music and, um, you know, local punk bands going to see or opening from t- for touring bands, like there was quite a bit of crossover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Were you getting records at this point or music? I should say. Just, I just. wasn't, I wasn't. And this is, it's funny because I was all about live music because again, like the dancing part of it and just being in this space. Um, mm-hmm. And like people always say about dance, you know, that dance is like the ephemeral cough job, 
you know, uh, once what it once it's gone, it's just disappeared and you can't record it. It doesn't look good on video. It's just gone. And so I like that aspect of of live shows. I like to go to a punk show and and yeah, just watch it. And it was disappearing. Um, but I had tapes, you know, and stuff like that. So at the, I still had ways of listening to recorded music, um, but it was mostly from recording off of the radio. And what kind of like stuff, I guess, like was on the radio at that point? I guess it would have been, you know, what was ever on the, the college station, right? Yeah, for the most part, that's, yeah, I was still listening to the college station. But again, at that point, too, um, after, say, 1996, 1997, I got really serious about dance again because I was about to go in, like, into university. Uh, because in my day, you did OAC, so you mm-hmm. could actually graduate early. So I started university when I was only 17. Um, I moved to Montreal. Uh, I turned 18 in October. So, I mean, I was only 17 for a month, but I literally moved to Montreal when I was 17 and started university uh, as a dancer. So there's a, a bunch of chunks for me where I just was out of touch a little bit with what was going on. Although it, it did mean I got to see a little bit of the, the music scene in Montreal at that time. Uh, but again, this is going to sound like a total departure. Um, a lot of the uh, dance showcases used to happen at a bar downtown called Les Foufoun Electrique. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Foufoun Electric. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I was in a I was in a grad dance show there. Like that's where Concordia University. It, again, it was it was a very bizarre program. It's a, so we our grad dance show, uh, the grad dance show rather, was at Foufoun, and um, I was in two pieces. One where I was like wrapped in a white sheet. And there was a person holding me back and I was trying to pick flowers. There was no music for that. <laughs> and then the other one that I was in, uh, was, uh, done to La Fuego by Lassa, who's this, she was a local singer. And the choreographer was this like, uh, martial artist with like really long hair. And that piece was fantastic. But, uh, it meant I went back a couple of times and saw in, in my opinion, some pretty bad death metal. That's that's all that I was seeing when I went to Fukuoka at that point in time. Well, yeah. What year would this yeah. been? In ninety so that, what? Ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah like in, I guess that was before you know pre anepsy, mm-hmm. um, and it's also like post reset. It's like the weird valley yeah. before Nancy and after reset. And it was hit and miss. It was hit and miss. And then there was a bit of a div- divide as well be- between like francophone and. Even though I spoke the language. So I bet there were some local shows I probably would have really liked. I think that were still going on. But, um, yeah, at that time, like I say, I was, I was doing, I was really focused on dance and, and it was just incidental that I, that I saw these death metal bands. Um, but then I moved after one year at Concordia to Toronto because, uh, I wanted to be a professional dancer and I didn't think the program, uh, was going to get me there. Mm-hmm. And what, mm-hmm. yeah. So when you got to Toronto, I guess, did you kind of, uh, like, I, were you like playing music? Had you ever played music before? I'd never played music before. No. Wow. So you kind of just come here and you're still just like at this point dancing. And did you start getting back into going to shows at this point or? Um, I got back in. Actually, it wasn't punk, uh, because I met, um, my partner, Chad, uh, while I, in my second year of university, when I was, I'm trying to think I was 21. Uh, my second year at York, rather. So I guess it would have been my 
third year. Anyway, um, but um, so he and I started hanging out and he was in bands. Uh, so at that time, he was in an Afrobeat band, but he was in the band with this guy, Andrew Scott. Mm-hmm. And um, Andrew played in a whole bunch of bands like he played in the Bicycles and the Melagros, but he also had played in Femme Fatale and they later became Death From Above. So when I first started listening to um, going to live shows and stuff in Toronto, that was um, those were the shows I was going to was Femme Fatale and that. And um, thick lipstick, yeah, I guess, too, right? Would that be? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like Chad actually went to high school with Sebastian, but um, Sebastian was younger than him, so um, he knew Sebastian's sister, Catherine. Okay. And so, so yeah, so uh, and so. I eventually moved in with Chad and so we lived uh with Andrew and so I got to see like bands rehearse there and stuff which was pretty cool um but at that time I some of it was punk but uh it was sort of all over the place like I say the bicycles rehearsed there the Mellow Groves I'm trying to think uh Lee Van Cleef uh oh, who's in that band again Lee Van Cleef Lee Van Cleef is Michael Morenci Frame who I believe works at much uh now doing video editing okay. or something <laughs> yes but uh um but again like definitely not in in the punk scene and then Major One uh I don't know if you know uh, she does hip hop oh, yeah. oh I definitely know uh, yeah. so okay and so at that point um at that point uh that was kind of the music that I was listening to so it was Andrew that actually um, got us, uh, going to punk in Toronto, but that wasn't until really like, uh, 2003, 2004, something like that. Uh huh. Well, that was kind of mm-hmm. when it all started really getting going again in Toronto. Like it felt like the suburbs had it for so long. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> everything started happening again, early 2000s and stuff like that. But like, yeah, like late, yeah. late nineties, it was like, it was all like those Mississauga bands. Well, that's just it. And like I say, there's so, there's so many like gaps kind of in my musical interests, uh, just because like I say, I was, you know, I was dancing and, and that was mostly what I was doing. And I sort of, uh, fell into punk accidentally, I guess, uh-huh. um, for like a third time though. I, I always kept finding it. So I guess, I guess I would, it was something I was seeking out on some level. Well, it's uh, funny because like the third time you kind of find it, it seems like you find the sound you've been looking for. Well, wow. and, and that's just it. Yeah. Like I remember the first time I heard career suicide, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we, I know, I know it's not about you, but also, you know, fucked up and brutal nights and all of those bands that were playing at that time, uh, and the shows were getting shut down by cops. And, you know, there was, there were so many shows going on too. You could go to two in a weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I really was like, oh, you know, like, a, yeah, exactly. I think that was the style of music that, that most appealed to me. And I should say, like, you know, it's always tangential. Like way back when I was listening to CKCU, I had already heard some bands like Poison Idea because Feel the Darkness came out in like 1991. So I'd already had like little taste along the way, I guess. But again, being a dancer, I think seeing it in a live context, really, I then it, from that point on, I just sought out um, hardcore records, definitely. And, and you know, of um, it started, I guess, from Toronto and worked backwards. And that's why sometimes I find like... Uh, 
my record collection especially it has a lot of gaps right because it's sort of uh started uh in the middle uh of of local bands and i expanded out to what they were inspired by if that makes any sense mm -hmm. so i saw career suicide and then i would you know uh follow them online and find okay well like these are the bands that they're listening to and then i would go back and um so i sort of discovered hardcore ret in retrograde if that yeah. makes any sense no it does yeah. well i kind of think that's what like you know like you know the scenes you're describing i like some of those bands and stuff like that mm -hmm. but it certainly wasn't necessarily the the sound that i liked as my favorite type of hardcore and that's punk. just it yeah so i was looking too i was i know exactly the search and that's why i think i you know there would be like little bands here and there like there'd be like you know like you'd hear about this band that like this band's sick they've got a single but a lot of it was like looking backwards or then mm -hmm. like you know getting super into the youth crew revival because it was kind of fast or something <laughs> yeah yeah but and and i remember yeah exactly liking you know certain bands in toronto and then going backwards you know in the sound and uh it's funny that you mentioned youth crew because i sort of discovered them uh going backwards sort of from urban blight i guess yeah um but uh you know either through an interview you know that steve perry did or you know probably mentioned at some point um but yeah so again just kind of uh in in uh, retrograde so that's when i started going to record stores uh, pretty much right away buying local bands stuff. Uh, and then, like I say, going backwards and buying more stuff. And I became, um, you know, sort of, um, a regular at certain places. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I started collecting records, if you will. It was definitely a really cool time because it was like all these bands were kind of happening at once in Toronto. Um, but there was like, yeah, also like there was like record stores where you could go and find this stuff. And that's it was just it. Like, I, so around. I was going to say like, yeah, basically hits and misses yeah. when that opened. Yep. Uh, that was like, I, I spent time there almost every day, you know, uh, mm -hmm. on my way home from work or on my way to work, uh, on my way to rehearsal. If, you know, uh, if I was in a piece or something and yeah. And, and that's just it. It was, it was easy to, to go backwards and find really good bands, uh, because, you know, uh, the people there, uh, were always like really friendly and open and it was great to be in conversations, you know, about records and stuff and getting recommendations. Yeah. Like, I just think, you know, it, it was such a fun, no tension, no pretension yeah. kind of environment. Exactly. Like Pete and I became friends. And, yeah. and so, I mean, he, he was really frank with me and he had very good taste <laughs> and he used to come over, you know, uh, to my house for dinner and stuff like that, uh, with, with our friend Heather, you know, so I think I was really fortunate too in that getting to know Pete, uh, it opened up a whole other section of sort of, uh, interest, you know, uh, because he was, like I say, I mean, Pete is very open about what he likes and what he doesn't like, you know? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he's very helpful at, you know, cutting out some of the fat and just saying, okay, yeah, here's the record, you know, go, go three steps back and, you know, check out these guys. So, um, so yeah, that's definitely how I, uh, how I started collecting records and going backwards that way. So, yeah, like I, I, I guess I was lucky in the sense that, you know, for me, it was always kind of like the stuff I, I liked, he kind of liked, 
um, in the same yeah. way. So I never got, I never, fed, I never, I never found him having to give me a lecture. So maybe I should cut back on some of the pretend or the no pretension side of things. But you know, no, he definitely no, has no. his tastes. And yes, he he has his tastes, and like I say, we got along so well. Like yeah. I, I consider him such a dear friend. I really oh, yeah. miss him actually, and hanging out with him. Uh, but yeah, like you say, he had he had great taste and he had great records, and it was a store where you could just hang out and talk to people. And again, I saw people that were in bands, um, you know, that I liked. By this time, though, I was doing my master's degree, and uh, so it was like I'm going to say 2005 because mm-hmm. I did uh, my master's 2004 to 2006, and I was taking a. a I course. remember meeting you guys before this, though. I sorry, not to interrupt you. Oh yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we had met at shows for sure, and we had definitely met, I think, uh, at uh, Suspect Video. Yep. Uh, I remember so, you guys used to come into rent videos and I, and, uh, like for, for years, like I remember, like, yeah. the, like that must have been back in like, right when you guys probably, when you moved, said you moved to Toronto in 98. Early right? 2000s. Oh, yeah. Early yeah. 2000s. So yeah. Yeah, was, yeah. Well, I moved to Toronto. No, you're right. I moved to Toronto, uh, 98, 99. No, wait. Mm-hmm. That was Montreal. I think it was 99, 2000. Okay. Uh, but yes, right away we started going to suspect and, uh, I, ooh, we used to rent really brutal horror films <laughs> a lot of the time. I think that's how you and I first uh, chatted. Yeah, I had, I had a pretty yeah. brutal staff pick section back then. I, I could I mm-hmm. could handle things a lot more than I can now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. I think I think being a parent, it's like harder to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, going backwards. <laughs> no, I've got whole video collections. I can't uh, like you know whole whole movies, whole sections of movies in my. DVD collection that I'll never watch again. Yeah, that's just it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I think that's at that point we were already going to shows as well, though, because I think I had mentioned to you at one point, you know, oh yeah, that show that got shut down with the Clorox girls and observers, uh, observers. That's right. Right. And uh, brutal nights and, and, and career suicide was there too. And, and it was a great fucking too. show. The bayonets were there too. Yeah, it was, that was part of it. It was a really long bill. Yeah. And, uh, and it was amazing. And, uh, yeah, the, there was a, a security guard outside for like the whole show and he was really grouchy and he was kind of short and angry looking. And we kept going out, you know, people would go outside to smoke a cigarette or whatever. And I was a smoker, I think, at that time. So, and he kept telling people to move. So eventually, I think when you guys almost, one a few songs into your set i think uh yeah the the cops came in from behind and uh and what was amazing was just the fact that uh people sort of kept pressing forward and so like the whole room was just exploding and you guys played police and yeah it was really rad that was that was like uh one of my first uh toronto shows at mm-hmm. cinecycle mm-hmm. and uh yeah so that would have been like Shit. I don't know. I'm bad with dates, but uh, that would have been, I think, 2004, right? 2004. 2004. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's by crazy then to we say, were. By the way. Yeah. No, that was an amazing show, though. Seriously, it was hilarious. Uh, we were also at um, uh, another show that generated the song "The Line" or "Where's the Line" or oh yeah, something yeah. of that the, nature. The, the, the uh, infamous diss song. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just I'll just leave that there. So. Wait, yeah, the uh, bovine. You were at that bovine show. 
We were at that bovine show. Yes. And uh, I mean, so we saw sort of what was going on in terms of like the lineup and people coming through because of, uh, you know, a certain person's eminence, I guess. Um, And uh, I think you handled it pretty good. Everyone seems sort of like jovial or, well, not that jovial about it, but uh, relaxed about it. So, but it was pretty cool when the song came out afterwards because I think there was a lot of frustration just in the sense that there was a lot of us that went to all the shows uh, that really wanted to see a lot of those bands, right? So, I mean, there was some genuine frustration there and it wasn't so much about uh, one scene versus another scene so much as like, hey, my favorite band is on and there's a shitload of people here and this is really pissing me off because I want to go see them. Yeah. yeah, it was. Oh, I think that was also a weird point when, like, you know, and it got it, it got obviously crazier than this. But that was the first time that Toronto really contended with, uh, like, Toronto punk. I mean, really had to contend with Toronto music. In a, yeah, in a real way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah. Um, for people that don't know about this incident, we're really dancing around it. But you know, it's yeah, like, sorry. You no, know, it's so. It's like at this point, like, I feel so. It's a weird one to bring up because it's a very complicated story to have to explain. <laughs> oh, yes. So we'll no, leave all of footnotes. <laughs> yeah, it may, we're making it sound like it's like a really serious thing. But no, it was just a, about one show where kids couldn't get in. And so we were like, hey, fuck you. We want to come in. Yeah, no, that's I think, pretty much I think, what the song was about. Yeah, I think the fucked up Billy Talent uh, beef of 2004 is, uh, you know, remembered up there with uh, the Oasis blur. And yes, uh, I'm think about her famous non among some, among some, probably. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, so I, I guess what was the first show like that that you saw? Was it a career suicide one or was it like one of these fucked up ones? Uh, it, it, it was, it, I'm trying to remember it. Like, it's, it's kind of a blur to be honest, but I'm pretty sure it was fucked up. Um, and I'm just trying to remember. It was definitely at Cinecycle. It wasn't the one I just mentioned, but an earlier one. It probably oh. would have been, though, as late as, like, 2003, probably. Because okay. Andrew is the one that first told us that you were in a band. Mm-hmm. Which is so funny. Because, so, like, yeah, I totally remember Andrew. Well, I remember from, like, Femme Fatale. But, and I, I definitely remember when he was in the Melling Grove band. But I don't think I even knew him till much, much later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you didn't know him, but he knew that. I liked heavy music. And so one day when we were hanging out, he just looked at me and he was like, you know, there's a band you should check out called fucked up. Like I saw them play the other night and the lead singer said like, this song's called punch myself in the face with a microphone. And then you, you know, punch yourself in the face with a microphone and uh, he's like, you should go check them out. So the that, that was the recommendation <laughs> that I, well, yes, there you go. Uh, but anyway, that was the recommendation that led to the, to checking out the show. But as I say, uh, it was a show that you were playing with career suicide and like it sort of, uh, from there, I just went to every show that I could go to, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's how I saw, um, the music that like, as you were saying, like the actual sound that I, uh, um, that sort of defined the type of music, uh, that I wanted to hear. Yeah, it was, it definitely was like a, a moment where all the bands in Toronto, not everyone sounded the same. But I think there was like a real awareness of like 82 American hardcore and late 80s, early 90s Japanese hardcore. Exactly. And yeah. Like, yeah, there's like this like a studied kind of approach to music at that point in Toronto. Very nerdy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, from the outside, I guess it was just 
the right energy and and yeah, heavy with heavy, but still, uh, it still was crazy enough and distorted. And like I say, the live show, I remember actually saying, uh, to you once, you know, yeah, well, it's all about the live show anyway. And you kind of looked at me like I was insane because, of course, uh, you're the consummate record collector. And so, uh, I think you kind of found that funny, but, uh, yeah, but I, I mean, in due time, I sort of amassed quite a huge collection myself, as I say, through, Mostly through Pete. <laughs> I, I think, you no, know, I do agree with you, though. It is definitely about the live experience. I just collect records by play, or I should say, of bands and from places that I'll never able to be at oh, or seeing. Which makes, that absolutely makes sense, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely can, you know, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a different energy when you see it live. You know, it's like, it's yeah. like deathmatch wrestling. You know, you can watch all the YouTube videos, Leah, but until you experience it live, have you seen it? You know, <laughs> that's just it. That's just it. Um, uh, the, the wrestling, I haven't, I have seen live wrestling, but, uh, I'm saying live deathmatch though. Live deathmatch. No, I haven't seen live deathmatch. Okay. No. Well, no. um, speaking of live music though, when did you, before you started playing live, how did you kind of get, you know, the, you know, you had never done a band prior to this, but when, how did you start recording or working on recording music? So I was doing uh, my master's and one of the required courses was on insider-outsider arts. Uh, and um, basically the teacher, the professor, sorry, uh, assigned that we could either write a paper or do an experiment with a type of art that we had absolutely no education or talent in and just try to make it as an outsider art piece. And uh, so at the time, because I was already going to shows and listening to this music, I thought, well, this would be a really great fucking outsider art piece. <laughs> uh, so uh, and again, at the time, I was living uh, at uh, Geary Avenue, which is the rehearsal factory. You were living there? Um, I was living there with Andrew Scott and Chad at the time and Michael. Wait, where'd you guys live in? The, where'd you guys live in this place? Uh, it, there's a huge loft apartment. Okay. Um, if you, you know how like, okay, well, where the rehearsal factories are now, that used to be like a party house. Uh, but the yellow building that has just a few rehearsal studios downstairs, the black ones. Yeah. Uh, it's an, it's an antique, uh, building actually. The front door still says, you know, something in Sun's Antiques. So most people went through the black door to go to the rehearsal space, <coughs> go up the stairs. And on the left, and uh, yeah, there was this huge loft space. But the cool thing was you could make as much noise as you wanted, right? Because it was zoned to be a rehearsal space. Uh-huh. So up until like midnight, we could be as loud as we needed to be. So yeah, um, you know, I saw all, I would go to university during the day and dance and then, you know, come home and see bands in my living room. So it was kind of easy to, uh, to think like, okay, well, I'm just, I'm just gonna. Was Sloan practicing there then or no? Yes. Sloan lived downstairs from us. Actually, Sloan practiced, they practiced separately. Um, but this was, uh, this was a little bit later actually that Sloan lived downstairs from us because, uh, my partner and I, Chad, had already moved to another apartment in the rehearsal factory, uh, but a smaller one with just the two of us and Sloan were downstairs from us. And yes, they used to rehearse stuff separately. Like each, each band member would come in and rehearse. <laughs> The song, um, over and over and over. So, I mean, it wasn't even like you could listen to the song, you know, 
yeah, they, could, they used to rehearse it separately. You could make a sick multi-track recording of that song and eventually put it yes. together. Um, right. Wow. Right. That's yeah. Awesome. At, the, at the time, though, not so much. I remember once, like, just, you know, trying to go to sleep and there's like downstairs. I'm just hearing this one bass line over and over and over again. And literally, you know, so, yeah, anyway, it was a weird place to live, but also kind of awesome because, as I say, I saw so so many uh, bands rehearsing and just, yeah, happened to be there at the time. So, you know, it's amazing who who practices in that practice space, like the the bands and kind of like. I don't know, I'm always like, uh, I love when you walk in a rehearsal p- place because like you walk by these doors and you're like, that's so, that's like a room full of broken dreams or that's a room full of someone who's eventually going to become super famous. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, there, uh, we had some very strange experiences. I don't know if I ever told you about the time chaos knocked on our door because he was looking for the superintendent to get a key for something. No. So there's, I'm like literally at home, probably working on a paper or something during the day. And there's a knock at my door. And so I go over and I open the door again. We're living in the rehearsal factory and chaos is there. And he's like, Hey, I'm Kevin. And in my mind, I'm going, no, you're not. You're chaos. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for Adrian. He, he was supposed to meet me. And I'm like, yeah, his apartment's right next door. But I mean, you know, it was, uh, kind of surprising, I guess. So yeah, there's, there was, like you say, so many, uh, so many different bands rehearsing there. Yeah. Punk and otherwise. Oh God. Yeah. No, it's and even to this day, there's like, God, you you, like every time I walk in there, I'm like, Oh God, yeah, this group practices here. This, this group practices here. So it's like a real who's who, sorry, but I cut you off. Like you were getting into your, your, how you got into music. Yes, of course. Sorry. I also, it's hard not to be tangential because as I say, my way in was really quite, um, patchwork, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I was doing uh, I was doing in, uh, a course on insider outsider art, and uh, so yeah, I just decided to record a punk song. And at the time, I had just read um, Dostoevsky's book uh, The Possessed, mm-hmm. and so I was like, yeah, Steve Rogan seems pretty punk, you know, like just the idea of inspiring mass suicide. I'm like, that's a pretty punk idea. So. Uh, so I wrote the lyrics to it, and then uh, uh, Andrew Scott was actually the person who played the bass uh, the first time that I recorded it for this class, and uh, and my partner Chad played guitar, and so yeah, we just recorded it um, in uh, the superintendent's, like I was in the bathroom, and we did it really in one take, and it and I mean it was kind of funny because I mean you and I know each other well, so you know. I'm I'm a fairly small person and yeah. uh, I'm a little bit shy. You know, you can hear I'm a bit nervous in my voice. Um, so I went in and just first time just kind of belted this thing out. And when I came out, there were four guys standing there looking like someone had just chopped their head off. <laughs> and uh, so they were just like, what was that? No- was that you kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, and we're very surprised that I was so loud, I guess, or or so whatever, rough sounding. And so it just, yeah, it felt, it just felt very natural. Uh, you know, the first time I did it, it was just, yeah, a really amazing feeling. So that's when, yeah, we recorded Stab Rogan in one take. And, uh, uh, that, that was my insider outsider piece. <laughs> and, uh, I made like a seven inch cover as well to go with it. Uh, it had a fold out with a charcoal vagina. And uh, the different parts of the vagina were labeled with logos. So like McDonald's, you know, Chrysler. So like the labia was Coke. 
Um, and, and inside I, I did my little CD of Stavrosian and it was like taped to a seven inch, you know, just for aesthetic. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's like, wow. So you had never sung before. Cause your voice is like, nope. it's so hard. And it's also like the thing about your voice. That's like, you know, obviously being someone who's got like an aggressive vocal, um, I'm hypercritical of people with aggressive vocals, you know, like I just yeah, like, oh, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and it's like, I don't know, like, but your, your voice, it's just like, you, you kind of hit this like perfect, like Jerry, a, uh, like, you know, guttural, but articulate kind of vocal, like, and that, that's the one you had on that first track. Uh, th- yeah, that was the, just the very, like I say, first time I did it, I think that, uh, I don't know. I just, ha- I, I guess I've said for a long time, I'm a really good appreciator of music and just, I had listened to a lot of different things and I, yeah, I just really never sung before. It sounds kind of weird, but, um, I'm also a really angry person. <laughs> so that <laughs> felt really great. You know, I'm a shy, quiet, tiny, really fucking angry person. So it was like, yeah, I mean, let's not pretend that, you know, that uh, we're not kind of weirdos to get into this stuff, right? So no, but yeah, I think great to scream. Yeah, your anger though comes across in a, like a really awesome way. So you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a, it's 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 sick that it's just like it's natural. That was the the sound you're going for. But like, who I guess are the influences that you were kind of like? Was it Jerry A? Because I've always thought you sounded like Poison Jerry. Idea was definitely one of them. Yeah. As I said, by this point, I, you know, I had already worked backwards from local bands, if you will. And so, yes, Poison Idea was definitely part of it. Uh, the Accused, yeah. um, uh, more more vocally than musically. Um, and then it, it's weird because, I mean, the band that I was in, um, uh I guess like uh, Chad, his influences would have been more stuff like Minutemen uh, yeah. and stuff like that. So really coming at it from two different perspectives. Um, but definitely, as I say, you know, accused poison idea and, and for sure there was, uh, there was mind eraser. I love Justin's vocals. Uh, Glacial rain was like one of my yeah. favorite records at the time so it's you know, funny because he doesn't like that record too but sorry not oh really i didn't know that oh no i love that record yeah sure. but um but yeah so kind of kind of just i started off emulating and then i blew my voice uh like that so the original track i think my voice sounds lower uh, than it ever did afterwards. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I found my own sound, I guess, after that, um, just finding a place that I could scream and just never stop screaming, you know, and, um, and yeah, so it's just sort of, uh, vocally, that's how that happened. But, uh, um, uh, I guess at that point, uh, because we had done one song, I just decided that, you know, I wanted to keep keep making songs and so that's what we did for a while for like a year we just wrote songs would you sing along at shows we were still going to shows yeah no but would you sing along when you were up at shows and stuff oh absolutely yeah like grabbing the mic yeah yeah okay yeah um i did that a bunch uh for sure um i uh again i like the physicality of a show and um i think even now you know sometimes i find myself like jumping into the pit um i 
I like, uh, I don't mind getting hit. I don't mind getting hurt, you know, uh, and, and yeah, like jumping in for the mic is, uh, something that I've, I've done ever since I started going to shows in Toronto for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess in that sense, I had sung quote unquote, uh, quote unquote before, but I guess I'd never tried to do it into a microphone on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I definitely had screamed into other people's microphones or sang along to tracks. Like obviously. Yeah. But you never know how you sound until you hear. You don't yourself yeah. back for that first time. Um, exactly. And I, yeah. So, and it took me like, you know, and like, you know, and I, I say this as someone who's, you know, been told that I've got like a good voice, but it took me, you know, it wasn't like I started in urine trouble with this vocal. Like it took me a while to kind of come to like what worked for me. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's like so cool that yours is a natural found sound. Like, uh, I don't know. It's awesome. So yeah. Like how did you kind of like, I guess you and Chad at this point are like, let's put together a band. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I have an obsessive personality. And so I like literally just put dance on hold for a while because I just wanted to make music. Cause I just, just was kind of obsessed with the idea of doing it. So like I say, I was still going to school at the time. And um, so Oh, actually, no. I, yeah, no, I was still going to school. It was like 2006. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we just recorded a whole bunch of stuff. Usually we did it by like I would write the lyrics first and then um, Chad uh, would come up with like the guitar to go with it. Those were usually like the slower songs that we wrote. And then the faster songs that we wrote, it would be more like he would come up with a riff or something. And then I would write over top of that. And then like our drummer at the time was our downstairs neighbor. And it, it, it kind of was a unique sound only because he definitely had an altogether different taste from the rest of us. Yeah. You know, he was, he was a really big Patton fan. Uh, so, uh, he bruised you know, his head again. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that you can definitely hear that, I think, on our demo, <laughs> a little bit of Patton drumming or, yeah, going on there. But, um, but yeah, so we, we started off um, recording these songs on our own. And then I, I not, ever really intending to do a show, I said, well, let's just go record a demo. Mm-hmm. Just because I wanted to record a demo. Um, and so we looked up, I was looking up a bunch of studios and I came across uh, Green Door, uh, which is which was run by this guy, John Critchley. And so so we said, I just, you know, asked what his rates were or whatever. And I had a really good job at the time because, uh, as I say, it was like just after I graduated. So I had some money and I thought, OK, well, let's let's actually do this. And then um, uh, when we showed up, he was working with this guy, Sam Cave, who at the time was just trying to learn from him uh, some recording stuff. But Sam Cave was actually in the band The Explosion. So he kind of brought this um, almost, I don't want to say like pop punk, but this uh, definitely more like upbeat punk uh, idea. Wait, wait, to what Sam we from The Explosion, like American? Sam Sam Cave. Yes, that's right. He had moved to Canada yeah. and he was working. Yeah, he was working with uh, John Critchley. And so it was just a coincidence when we arrived that he said, oh, you know, there's this uh, there's this guy that's working with me right now. And we hit it off like personally so fast, just talking about bands and stuff like that. And so he was like, hey, do you want me to just kind of like produce your demo kind of thing? So he made a lot of suggestions about uh Mostly gang vocals, <laughs> which which is great because uh, I have, you know, again, the explosion, if you've heard them, it's definitely the gang vocals. But it, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, and so I guess we had like some expertise, even though I was completely green to doing this, other than being someone who went to a lot of shows and listened to a lot of music. 
Uh, and it was funny too, because the whole time we were recording, I was like looking at Chad and going like, who is that guy? John Critchley. Like he looks so familiar and, and he was in a band called 13 Engines, which is like a Canadian band from oh, yeah. the very early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, dude, you're, yep. Anyway, so there you go. So the, the guy from the 13 Engines recorded us and then, uh, Sam Cave made a bunch of suggestions and yeah, we just, Made a bunch of cassettes, and because I knew Pete at the time, I asked him to put some in his store. And um, that's kind of all I thought I would do at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, then what happened next, though? Because you guys took it, uh, you know, you took it a lot further than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, so like I say, we, we put out a demo, and then I, I was, we talked about the idea of playing live, and... Um, at that time, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of uh, a lot of the information through the scene was going through the Toronto Hardcore Message Board. Yeah, oh, and God, so yes. yeah, yeah, uh, which which wasn't the best place for a feminist <laughs> who really liked hardcore. But nonetheless, um, I did go on there uh, in part to figure out people that were also just starting bands to like do shows, uh, and so that's where I met um, uh, some of the people uh, from the band Busey Teeth. Which were kind of like a drunk punk band uh, who had a female lead singer. Dude, oh, wow. I do not know this band. Okay. Well, like I say, we're talking about bands that were really, you know, just starting out. And so uh, they said, oh, let, you know, let's put together a gig. So they put together a gig at Rancho Relaxo and it was Busey Teeth uh, with West End Riot and Fuck Knuckles. Fuck knuckles. Oh, fuck so that, okay, definitely. That was the first. That was the first show that we played in, and we opened, and yeah, and I was terrified because I'm again, I'm a pretty shy person, so I just went right into the first song. I didn't say anything, and then afterwards, just went right into the second song and didn't say anything. And I think at that point, someone like poked me and was like, "You have to, you know, at least say what your band's called." So I did that, and then just just went through the set really, really fast. And uh, it was a great experience. And like uh, the energy was really good in the room, even though it was a small show. So from then on, I was just like, oh, let's play more shows like. um, And so after that, I sort of started making my own opportunities. Uh, Mm -hmm. So this was kind of um, Siesta Nouveau uh, hadn't quite started yet. Um, But uh, Lynn used to have um, I'm trying to think what it was called, BLR Studios was in that same building. And so that was that downstairs performance space. Wait, it was like below where Siesta Nouveau was? Exactly. Yeah. It was, okay. There was a downstairs performance space and it would like open back onto actually uh, where the vans would pull up and stuff like that. So it was okay, like yeah. actually a really good space. Um, and so, you know, what, what I did was um, just got in touch with um, some other bands that I liked that I'd seen at local shows. And that was, uh, I think the first show I put together was Raw uh hazardous waste uh us and then um th- this is a 322 geary connection the g-men which uh were a much older punk band yeah mopa dean on right. vocal and it that's it and it didn't really didn't fit in at all but we knew them through the rehearsal space and uh i as i say i was just like suddenly putting trying to put shows together so that was well, like the first show i put together sorry well it's funny it's like you know you mentioned them because like Armed and Hammered, the pre-G-Men band with Mopa. Yes, uh, yes. That was one of those bands that, like, when I was, like, looking for bands that just, like, made sense to me sonically, they were one of those bands. And I go back and listen to them, I'm like, oh, they kind of have a Poison Idea vibe. 
They definitely do. And like, even though the G-Men weren't, like I say, it didn't match necessarily with like Hazwaz and Raw and us. Yeah. Uh, but but I, it was still like really enjoyable. And I think part of it was, yeah, in context of uh, of the of him being an armed in hand arm and hammer previously right yeah so um so yeah that was the first show that i put together there with lynn and i think matt saw us probably at that show uh, again you know my my memory's not great but uh, matt from high art for the lowdown really liked our band and so uh he uh he booked a couple of shows there oh you know what i'm getting ahead of myself though because actually um before i started booking my own shows um we played one show at Adrift, uh, and that that was like sort of at the time uh, I was super excited about it because the two bands that we were playing with were two of my favorite, favorite fucking bands in Toronto. It was uh, Living Darkness mm-hmm. and Endless Blockade, and it was like a total fluke. We had played, I think, we had only played maybe that show with Busey Teeth, uh, but again, you know, you put your music up online, and at the time you know, just through other people and meeting people at shows. I had met uh, Matt a number of times from Living Darkness, uh, and he was just like a super, super nice guy, uh, Matt Scardadello. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last mm-hmm. name right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we we had played this one Adrift show as well with, <clears throat> excuse me, with Living Darkness and Endless Blockade. So that's another connection. I think Matt from High Art for the Lowdown was also at that show. So... Yeah, yeah so that, that was, was such a cool space, yeah. you know, like a drift was like the, uh, I don't know, for like that one moment, that was like, I, I still like look back at some of my favorite shows of being in that like floor with a skateboard. Absolutely, absolutely. Acid Reflux uh, played there one time and it was the best fucking show. That's And that uh, that's a band definitely I wanted to buy all the vinyl of. Um, but uh, yeah, there were so many good shows there. Um, and I saw... It's terrible. Like my memory is so bad. Like I say, acid reflux. There was definitely a Christmas show with fucked up. I'm trying to remember all the supporting bands. So we did um, an Easter show there. Maybe not. I don't remember a Christmas show. But I remember the Easter. Oh no, show. you definitely did oh, a Christmas yeah, show. Yeah, we did. You, we was there was after one we did, year. It was after we did the one at Sonic Boom with. Tyler. I was just going to say, and I was at the Sonic Boom show, and that's when you guys mentioned, ah, oh, yeah, we decided we're going to do a show at Adrift. I think, like, I think yeah. it was maybe even impromptu. Yeah, and so everyone yeah. sort of followed you over, and I think that's why it was maybe only yourselves and like maybe one other band or something. It was just like people kind of wanted to go see a show. Yeah, we forgot um, we did play there twice. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and and that I, yeah, and um, I think that was the first time I talked to you about music was when uh, it's kind of awkward, but when uh, when or rather talked to you about my band is when I uh, was chatting with you at that Sonic Boom show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I remember you just saying, "Oh, you know, I've heard your, I've heard your demo, and I really like your voice." And that sort of floored me because, uh, as I say, you know, um, I really quite like a certain style of vocals. And again, I am really critical about that. Yeah, kind of, you know, harder, thrashy, aggressive vocal. Um, so it was, yeah, kind of floored me. But um, um, yeah, I think that was the first time we probably talked about UTI. And that night at the show, I was jumping around and uh, grabbing the mic a whole lot from you, probably very obnoxiously, because <laughs> we had actually spoken in person. But there you go. <laughs> so, that's A-OK. Anyone's like, yeah. that's, you know, I'm always, anytime anyone grabs the mic for me and takes it and, and sings along in those words, I'm 
in shock. So it that's was, that that's was a great awesome. adrift show. It was like the kind, you know, where you're just climbing on people's backs and someone's climbing on your back. And it's just like this endless ladder of just, you know, ridiculousness. So, um, yeah, again, you know, uh, at this time I was still dancing like it's kind of hard to explain. But um, I had taken some time off from dance to do just music. And then at a certain point, I just um, started doing professional dance again. So I was working with this choreographer, Jasmine Inns. Uh, at the same time and uh, doing stuff at Dance Makers uh, downtown, not with the company, but at the studio. I was doing stuff with um, Tracy Norman and with Jesse Dell and Project Sugar. So at the same time that I was, you know, sort of uh, enjoying um, or getting into uh, playing live music, I was still doing a lot of dance. And so I feel like my performance style for sure is a bit theatrical uh, and over the top. Um, if pe- most people who have seen me, you know, definitely would comment on that, that um, I'm a little bit ridiculous uh, live in terms of falling over backwards and doing, you know, flips onto my face and stuff like that. <laughs> so I think that even though the music thing was foreign to me, uh, weird dancing and painful dancing, you know, which I did at shows in the audience became just like sort of uh, the perfect way to uh, to perform live. So uh, so I definitely am a bit of a silly performer. Um, I know by the time I was doing shows with High Art for the Lowdown, uh, I was of the opinion that it was bullshit that guys took their shirts off for hardcore. So I usually took my shirt off as well because fuck that. Um, but, um, that, that, so that would have been when we were playing at Annie's and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I would say my performance style is definitely influenced by the fact that I was dancing at the same time. So just wanting to do stupid stuff that hurt me, (laughs) maybe not so, maybe not so different than blading or wrestling or something like that, but yeah, just wanting to fall hard and, and, uh, get sweaty with a bunch of people screaming. Yeah. So, uh, but I was going to say, um, when we started doing live shows, one thing that became apparent that was quite frustrating was the fact that, um, because I'm small and because I'm female, um, there would be this thing that would happen where as soon as we would kind of start to play, there'd be like a big gap would form right in front because people would be afraid to go near me. So that was the one thing that was kind of, uh, difficult to get going as a performer was any type of physical interaction like uh with the with people that were watching it was much easier on the other side like as an audience member i feel like i got to interact much more because yeah people were afraid to touch me a little bit well i was gonna say it may it definitely you know not to say discredit what you're saying in, as far as the story but that also is known <laughs> as the toronto fishbowl is that- it okay so it's not okay maybe it's not just me i guess i've been fortunate that most of the the shows would at least end up with people like moving towards the stage. Right. But I well, guess that, that's true. That's because you're a better front person than I, because I still contend with the Toronto fishbowl every once in a Fair while. Enough. So uh, I, I think. <laughs> Fair I, enough. I don't, I don't know if that's the case though. I have to say, um, you know, definitely for the first uh, long while uh, we used to uh, joke that we were the cigarette break band. Um, but it was a cool place to be. I have to be honest, uh, because usually people would start to leave as soon as we started to set up. So we tried to set up really fast because I love the fact that everyone was expecting a certain sound to come out of me based on my appearance. Mm-hmm. And so we would try to hit before everyone got outside because then you'd see this sort of like, what? Weird. And eventually we'd sort of pull some people back in. 
but but the, like you say, the Toronto kind of discerning, you know, and perhaps if they've heard certain audiences, if they if they haven't heard of a band, might be like, okay, this might be a good time to go have a cigarette or whatever. So we used to joke for a long time that we were a cigarette band. Uh, but yeah, I tried to at least uh, get some people to come back in for quick smoking. <laughs> yeah, like I've, I've been, yeah. I've definitely been the cigarette band. I've also now been the uh, I'm I'm a someone through a festival and no one showed up band as well at <laughs> times. So you know, it never it never gets easier. In that yeah, regard. yeah. But um, but um, I, I was going to say I skipped over um, uh, the whole uh, Bad Skin House, uh, which happened I think before a lot of the high art for the lowdown. Oh but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I was going to say that it came out of a high art for the lowdown show. Like basically what happened was uh, Matt, uh, who was booking really great shows actually at the time, but he was also really great at giving like new bands and stuff like a chance because we there was lots of shows where it was just all new bands. It was always fun and crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. So at the time he had booked a band at the Tiger Bar and it was us with Disgusting Body. That was Gina's band. Uh, Gina. Uh, she, she used to help Steve Perry on the radio. Meldez, I think it's her okay, last name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then Shit Rain, who were from Peterborough and, uh, Badskin. And I had heard Badskin's demo and I was like super excited to see them because it was a great fucking demo, even though it was like really hard to hear. It's very hard uh, to hear. It's very yeah. The one, the one with the fucking fight. dog, like the one with the dog on it, you know, where they're just holding it back. It was like, you know. And uh, so it was supposed to be at the Tiger Bar. And then for some reason, either the bar had a bad experience with a punk show and typical. They were just like, nope, you can't play here. And so Jay from Bad Skin just said, you know what? Fuck it. Like, let's just play at my house. So that was the, the very first Bad Cave or Back Cave, whatever the whatever people called it. I don't know, was uh, when the Tiger Bar uh, got shut down. So uh, that was. Uh, an insane show, and in part because Badskin played last. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mind saying this, but uh, most of those guys, especially at that time, uh, you know, they took a lot of different drugs. Yeah. Um, they yeah. were definitely like the prototype, you know, drug band. And so as the evening wore on, uh, we were one of the first bands to play. I was like, oh, this is going to suck. You know, I was really worried that it, it, they would sound sloppy and I was really excited to hear them play. And the thing that fucking amazed me was I just remember Todd walking up. He could barely walk straight and he like literally leaned backwards against the amp and they started playing and they were so fucking tight and fast. And none of them knew anything that was going on. Like, it's just they'd always played that. Way. <laughs> so it was a great fucking show, but it was insane. This is when, uh, like I said, it was the first show. So it wasn't really uh, made for a show space. So this was the show where all the lights got smashed and shit. And mm -hmm. so everyone got cut up and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, it was it just turned into like, yeah, a party. Um, and it wasn't like it, it was. Uh, I think there was a fair number of people because, you know, we had a few bands on there and I mean, bad skin were so great. I know they weren't around for long enough, but they really were, uh, you know, they had their following that just wanted really fast, you know, angry fucking punk. Yeah, they were, uh, mm -hmm. they were, an, an, I remember the first time I met Jay, it was at the cake is showing Kingston and he came up and he had had the moon from the pink eye record tattooed on him that I drew. And Amazing. Just, and I, well, I was just like, that's so weird that A, that of all things, that, but also that someone yeah. has a tattoo of something I drew. And then little did I know that he'd be one of the most 
One of the most over-the-top front people I've ever seen in my life. He's fucking incredible. And I have to say, his new band, Hassler, I've seen live as often as I fucking can. Even stuck out here in Ottawa, every time they play, I go and see them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Fed Worked and Watered, uh, that record that they released. I mean, it's uh, it's got the same bad skin feel, but, you know, definitely tighter. Uh, Jay's given up pretty much all of his indulgences, even cigarettes, last I spoke to him. Um, and, and so, yeah, if anything, it's tighter and faster, but it just the music is insane. And, and like you say, as a front person, he's, um, almost Iggy pop ish, you know, where yeah. he's just going to hurt himself and sacrifice himself. And you just don't, he, neither you nor he know kind of like where it's going to end. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, but, definitely, yeah. definitely like, uh, you know, a Steve Leckie, like following in a long line of, yeah, Toronto front people that have, <laughs> I guess, laid themselves waste at the uh, altar of rock and roll. Yeah, I can't help but wonder if it's something in the Toronto water because you know just the notion of beating yourself up. I mean, as well as much as it is a, a punk standard, yeah, definitely had started there pretty early. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I guess it's. I don't know. We. I guess we kind of went that path. You know, it's it, and I guess you know when you're kind of walking in the path that. uh you know, well, you know, you 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 laid yourself waste on that stage many a time. Many times, many so. times. I I I did break my jaw in a pit once at your show. I think I told you that. I think I told you actually at the show that I'd gotten hit in the face, but it turned out later my jaw was broken. I think I told you that. I can't remember. Whoa! But that that was probably my worst one, and that was great. And I'll tell you exactly what happened. You guys, uh, Hidden World had just come out, mm-hmm. and this was so I was in. I I saw the show. Did I see the show in Ottawa? Yeah, I did, because I came down. Sorry, I wasn't living in Ottawa at the time, but I came down to see a dance company from Belgium called Les Ballets de la Baie. Okay. And they're a fucking sick, crazy theater dance uh, company. And I was, like, super stoked. I was with my cousin, Krista, who's this uh, crazy tattoo artist from Montreal, and she loved the band Fucked Up. And you guys were playing, like, the same uh, the same weekend or whatever. I think we went to see... Um, Les Ballets de la Bay at the Art Center on the Friday, and then we went and saw uh, Fucked Up play uh, at Cafe Decaf on the Saturday. So that's the show where I broke my jaw. And what happened was, uh, you know, I'd gotten into the pit, and it wasn't it wasn't really that crazy. You were playing one of the new songs, and so some of us knew the words, but you know, not everyone knew the words yet. Uh-huh. And at one point. Uh, I think the very next song you guys just like launched into police. So of course everyone like got really excited. I went bananas and went for the mic and my mouth was open and just being a very short person, someone was like swinging their arm. So uh, I got punched in the jaw, but just my lower jaw. So it shifted. And what happened was I was stuck in a mosh pit and I couldn't close my mouth. Like it was stuck open. So I'm like trying to push my way out and literally like closing, trying to get my mouth to like close as I'm coming out. So that, that was probably, I think my worst, I don't know I'm trying to think, but uh, yeah. And I found out it wasn't broken. Yeah. It wasn't broken badly, but yeah, there was, there was a fracture and uh, yeah. Didn't eat solids for a while. (laughs) Jeez. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh no. Like I, it's a great pug story to tell. And, uh, like, uh, as I was saying, the physical aspect, I think, of being at a show, you know, not that I'm, uh, I don't know, um, trying to hurt myself necessarily, but I think, you know, bumping into people and just, you know, being in the moment. And like you say, just kind of like sacrificing yourself, uh, you know, 
to the to screaming and to the moment. Uh, yeah, it's just part of it, I guess. Well, Leah, I uh, we're not even going to get into the fact that uh, we both have been mutual, uh, I guess, secular godparents to each other's yes. kids. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, we're not even going to get to that tonight because we've, you know, I've kept you long enough. We both have these aforementioned children that we have yes. to take care of. And being that they're both Ed. our godchildren, we expect each other to take care of them. Totally. And they don't sleep through the night. So no, no, we're, we're, no. we're, we're contending with the same problems. It's borrowed time. It's always exactly. borrowed time. <laughs> exactly. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, and you're going to come back, of course, I hope. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. It was, it was a pleasure. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here. And uh, as I say, next time you want to sing along at a fucked up show, you don't have to risk <laughs> a broken jaw. You know, you got, you got a, a, a guest pot spot waiting for you anytime. You just name the song. Okay. I appreciate that. I I will fucking take you up on that. Absolutely. Awesome, buddy. Yeah, we'll sure. talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Lots of love to the kids. Thank you, Leah, for coming on the show. So Leah will be back again in the near future for more episodes, um, and uh, we'll hang out again. But that was a great uh, opportunity to get to finally sit down and talk to her. Speaking of great opportunities to sit down and talk to someone. The next time you get this show, which hopefully will be next week, but it might be a little bit after, depending on what I have to do and my travel schedule and whatnot. But next time on this show, the man that I grew up so jealous of, the man that I think to me is kind of like the, uh, what would he be? He'd be almost like the, the Doogie Howser of the media world. My pal, Jake Fogelnest. If you are not familiar with Jacob Fogelnest, then obviously you were not watching Squirt TV on MTV in the mid-90s and seething with jealousy because this guy is almost the same age as me. And uh, I didn't have MTV, but I knew this guy was doing what I wished I was doing as a young teenager. He also has, of course, worked on incredible shows, like some of my favorite shows, including Billy on the Street. He was in Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, he is a... a, a God, someone who's been everywhere in pop culture, someone that was in for the ground floor of the birth of indie rock. It's a fun, fun episode, and that is next week on the show. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Once again, apologizing for all the technical difficulties. If you see me on the road on the East Coast this week, say hello. I'm going to be traveling around doing some stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will see you uh, the next time this comes out.